Hi, everyone. It's Steve. And this is Jennifer. We have some sad news about this episode. The idea for this show came from an email we received from a listener named Ian. He found himself caring for his father from the other side of the country, and we hope to provide some tips to help him. We reference Ian and his father throughout the episode, but unfortunately, we learned after the episode was recorded that his father has passed away. Not only that, but Ian lost his grandmother in the same week. This episode also features an interview with an expert, Robin, who is not only a medical social worker, but she was also taking care of her father from several states away. She talks about her father's condition during the show, but unfortunately, her father passed away the day after we recorded the episode. Our condolences go out to Ian, Robin, and all of their families in this difficult time. Every caregiving journey eventually does come to an end. We all know that, but it doesn't mean it's not very, very hard when it does happen. We decided to publish this episode with their permission, despite all of this, in the hope that it can still assist anyone who is long-distance caregiving. We hope it's helpful. Hello and welcome to another episode of Caregiving Gen X Style. As always, I am Steve Mullen. And I'm Jennifer Mullen. And in this episode, we're going to talk about long distance caregiving. So Jennifer and I are fortunate to have our mothers close by. But what if your parent is hours away or even the other side of the country and suddenly needs some care? This is the situation that we just learned about from a listener who wrote to us. And since we don't have any experience with this type of caregiving, we decided to bring in a guest who we're going to introduce in just a moment. But first, Jennifer, how's your mom? My mom's doing well. Had a funny little story I want to share with you that happened at work just yesterday. So she had an appointment with the podiatrist that my brother who lives here locally, of course, (laughs) took her to. And she decided that she was going to send me an update about the appointment afterwards. So I'm in my office and I get a text and the text says, I'm. (laughs) And it stopped. Just I'm. And then a couple of minutes later feet. (laughs) I thought, okay, surely there's more coming. Nope, nothing. And several minutes pass by and I have to get up and walk down the hallway, get on the elevator, ride it down three floors to go to somebody else's office for a meeting, sit down in her office, start the meeting. And about, I don't know, five minutes into it, all of a sudden I hear my text chime And then there was the whole rest of the text about her podiatry appointment and how all went well and the circulation in her feet is great. So, you know, all positive, but I couldn't help but just chuckle, like trying to think about feet, right? What was happening in between I'm feet (laughs) and then all of that time in between before we got to the rest of it. So. Uh, I think we've mentioned this before, I, but I'll say it now. We are definitely going to have an episode we, we, on technology. We're getting it onto the calendar. We're getting because, it onto the calendar. And it, I mean, it could almost be like a bloopers episode because there are so many comical things oh related goodness. to the technology. I, can't, I really can't wait, and, actually. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. Steve, how's your mom? She is doing well. Uh, I actually have a story from assisted living that really doesn't have to do directly with her, but it was just something I saw uh, a week or two ago. I was actually leaving the building for the day. As I've mentioned, I visit her several times a week for, you know, an hour or two unless more is needed. And as I'm walking out, uh, I look over into the dining room, which is on my way out of the building. And 
there is a woman and a man, of course, both residents, so they're you know older people, and they're sitting next to each other, very sweetly holding hands. But the woman is just kissing the back of the man's hand over and over <laughs> and over and over. It's like, oh. I mean, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm, I said, well, that's um, interesting. So I'm, I mean, I was looking perplexed as I walked past the front desk. Seems sweet. Because it it, it is, but. As I walk past the front desk, you know, you have to sign out so they know who's in the building. And uh, the front desk woman, uh, who they call a concierge there, um, she caught that I looked a little perplexed. She said, what's going on? I said, well, they're uh, the couple sitting over there. Um, That's kind of interesting. They're, you know, she said, oh, they're boyfriend and girlfriend. (laughs) And they're doing something like that all the time. And believe me, what you're looking at is very mild considering what we've seen before. There have been tongues out. Oh, my. Yeah. I don't so, want to see that with anybody. A couple of episodes from now, we're going to talk a little bit about how uh, facilities are just like high school. Um, and <laughs> In a this lot is of a ways. Really good example of that. <laughs> so let's move on to our episode. Let's introduce our guest. Robin Holler is a medical social worker with tons of experience working with caregivers and patients. Robin, welcome to the show and thanks for being with us. Hi. Hello, both of you. We're so happy to have you here, Robin. So, bef- Thank you. I'm really excited about it. So before we dive in, um, we, we, we know a little bit about your situation. You are a, a Gen Xer, like we are, uh, and you are dealing with the sandwich. How's your dad? My dad is a staple. The scenario is I live out of state, and up until the 15th, he um, this year he had had already two hospitalizations. Mm. And he fell about two weeks ago, um, fractured significantly his shoulder and then had a hairline fracture in his hip. Mm. And it was at the time needing a great deal of medical interventions um, because of other health conditions. And um, basically he was just discharged yesterday to a rehab facility. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry so, to hear all that. Yeah, that's awful. So it, is it a, so is it a anytime, nursing? Is it a skilled nursing facility? It is a skilled nursing facility. Yes. Well, I'm 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 hopefully he, he gets a little better. They do their job there. Um, so as we mentioned, this episode's topic was inspired by listener email, which is really cool. Ian emailed caregivinggenxstyle at gmail.com and said the following. And I quote Hey guys, enjoying the podcast so far. And by the way, that makes us love Ian so much. Yes, He's like we our do. best friend now. Ian, thank mm-hmm. you for listening. Yes. Um, I'm a firmly Gen X guy with parents just entering their 80s. That sounds kind of familiar. Uh, my mom is pretty independent still, but my dad took a turn for the worse in the past two weeks. Mom is local, dad is on the literal other side of the country. He insisted living in an area with no family and only a few friends around. So I'll be navigating the question of how all of this is done from a distance and whether I can move my dad into a facility out here, meaning, I guess, east, uh, once he's out of the hospital. So this, um, we wanted to provide some advice for Ian and others like him, but we've mentioned we don't have any experience with this. Our mothers are both within 15 minutes of us. Uh, So that's why we brought Robin. Robin. Thankfully, Robin has a lot of experience and advice on the topic. So let's start out of the gate, Robin. 
tell us what a medical social worker does. That's what that's what your profession is. So so tell us what a medical social worker does generally, and then really specifically what you do. Well, I'm really proud of my profession. I'm going to tell you it's one of the things I was excited to share. And it is a, uh, a social worker is someone who studies both psychology and sociology. So we are looking at uh, a person in their environment. And a medical social worker is someone who, like myself, has spent most of my time in hospitals helping people discharge home safely or out in the community working in an environment. Maybe it's in oncology or dialysis transplant, um, home health. So you're going to find social workers in different places. And we really get to learn and help our families and caregivers with what are their needs and connecting them to community resources. And that is literally how I introduce myself to people. I'm like, I'm here. Your doctor's referred me. And I'd love to be able to talk with you about how things are going at home and what community resources out there would meet your needs. That's how I introduced myself. I just absolutely love to hear that. Um, Robin, I, you know, we, we, we've known you for a while. You have the perfect personality for this. I, I know that for sure. Oh, thanks. Um, and I'll also say, I just, I remember when my mom was in the hospital for an extended stay and I don't know that I dealt specifically with a, with a medical social worker, but I'm just thinking about the resources, the people who are the resources in the hospital when you're there. You don't know what you're going to do when you get your loved one home, how you're going to handle certain things. It's very possible somewhere along the way with, that my brother and I did come in contact with a medical social worker. But of course, as, as you know, Robin, I'm preaching to the choir. You know, it's you're completely overwhelmed, and that's why yes. people like you doing what you're doing is truly such a blessing for those of us who find ourselves in that situation. So, thank you on behalf of all of us oh, who are who are caring, caring with caring with our elderly elderly parents or loved ones who might end up in that situation. You know, I know I definitely worked with a medical social worker both at the hospital when my mother was there, and and also when she was in skilled nursing, just with equipment and stuff. And I know we're going to talk about that. And I should probably say that we'll be talking a lot about Ian's specific questions, but we know there's a lot of others out there that are dealing with long-distance caregiving. So we're hoping this can help a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems to me the first thing people should do when starting this kind of caregiving journey, and what I mean by that is long-distance caregiving, is to ensure they have legal documents in order. Now, none of us here are lawyers. We always say that. But what would you suggest for getting things like power of attorney and other things in order? Right. And part of my needs assessment is the legal legal domain. So when I place a call to someone and I start talking with them, I'm doing a biopsychosocial, and that's a needs assessment. And any long-distance caregiver is going to want to um, address that topic with their parents. Uh, it's an open-ended conversation, and much of many of those documents have to be drawn up by a lawyer. But some lawyers even make home visits. You know, so one of the things you can do is basically use your resources online as a long-distance caregiver. If those particular documents are not yet drafted, um, you can look for an elder care lawyer. That's a great resource. Or you can do research to find a uh, law association in your area. Elder Care Locator is one of them, and you can look up things just by zip code. 
Interesting. So that's really helpful. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a really good um, tip. Definitely. Again, going back to the whole, if you're overwhelmed and not quite sure what to do, can we go back though for a second? You said bio psychosocial. Sure. I do a biopsychosocial. So can- that's the biology. Mm-hmm. And I look at what are people's medical conditions. So as a long distance caregiver for both my parents, I started to ask questions about various domains. And I started to put together my own little notebook as a long distance caregiver. What were all of dad's conditions? What were all of what are all of mom's conditions? Dad is 85. He's older. He has more complex conditions. Another domain to consider and be thinking about is the legal um, documents you need. And I talk with folks about needing three specifically. Um, do they have a will for their, you know, all of their assets and their home? Um, do they have a power of attorney? And do they have a health care power of attorney or also called an advanced directive? Um, an advanced directive is literally two documents in one. For example, it's going to designate someone to act as a surrogate decision maker. If that person, your parent, can't make decisions for whatever the reason, maybe they're confused in the hospital. So they're going to state, okay, um, I'm, I'm naming this person to be my voice if I'm unable to make decisions at this time. And um, the other part of the events directive document is a living will. And it basically states what their wishes and choices are about, you know, um, as they as they age, what kind of treatments they're they're comfortable having, and it gives you a footing as to you know the the, the start of conversations to have with them about how they feel about certain things, um, code status, feeding tubes and ventilators. But I can break down for you as a caregiver what I put into my own binder if you are interested. Sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, would oh, love, would love okay. to hear it and, and would love to also um, hear from you, too, if you have any tips on those are pretty serious topics to have to address with someone. And I think sometimes older folks might be a little resistant to talk about some of these things. So also, if you have any tips on how you approach these subjects, mm-hmm. that would be really helpful, too. Oh, sure. Okay. So let me start with the domains of um, areas that you as a long-distance caregiver are going to be thinking about. Um, You want to create a Polaroid snapshot, if you will, you know, get a sense of the legal documents, then get a sense of financial state. I let my folks that I talk to, you'd be surprised how many of my, my patients that I call will tell me right off the bat how much they make. And the reason is, as I tell them, that so much of the social services world is based on their income and that I am screening them to see what services I can get them into. So as an adult child, you know, have a sense of um, generally, if you know, are they able to pay their bills? Do they have, um, do they feel that they have enough to cover their expenses each month? Another domain to be concerned about is insurance. So in my binder, I found out what my parents' insurance is. All you know, for um, some people have Medicare Original, which is that red, white, and blue card, and a second insurance to pay the twenty percent that Medicare doesn't pay. And then they also have Medicare Part D, which is the prescription drug coverage. Some folks have a Medicare Advantage plan, 
Another domain I look at is um, basically I try and ask people, what are you able to do for yourself? And that comes into the topic of activities of daily living. So you're asking mom and dad, how are you doing um, with getting ready in the morning? Can you bathe yourself? Can you dress? Um, does someone use a cane or a walker? And you know, the reason I ask that is I'm trying to get a sense of how strong are they? Um, you know, are they able to walk across the room? Do they need the walker? Do they need a, a, a wheelchair to make it outside to their doctor's appointments? Gives me an idea of their stamina and their strength. So my discharge planning rule of thumb was if somebody could walk across the room about 20, 25 feet, I knew they could manage at home. They could manage at home. So, um, but if somebody is falling at home or um, more having some issues with their strength, you can always bring in home health. You know, and we can talk about that too. Um, home health services are ordered by doctors and they, right. they go out to someone who's considered homebound. Um, my final domain is active in instrumental activities of daily living. And that really comes up in my questions. You can ask mom and dad, so how are you getting your groceries these days? Um, are you preparing your own meals? Oh, what's for dinner tonight, dad? What are you having for dinner? It gives you a sense of, are they having a bowl of cereal for dinner every night? Mm-hmm. Are they nuking, you know, how much stamina do they have to get things, those things done? And medications, I always ask people, what are your routine for taking your medications? Where do you keep them? I look at how many they have. Yeah, are they um, constantly, you know, do they have eight or more? Most of my older adults have three or more complex medical conditions. That's who I work with. And so they can have easily over 10 medications that they're trying to manage. Mm-hmm. So how do they keep up with that? I'm realizing how incredibly grateful I am that, that Steve and I do have both of our moms here locally because those things that you're talking about, you know, Robin, are, are things that probably we've taken for granted because we've been very easily, we're seeing them, especially when they're right out of a hospital or a skilled nursing facility, we're seeing them every day. So we know exactly what they yeah. can and can't do. We know exactly... You know, there was a period of time when you know, my mom trying to manage her medications, just my brother and I, you know, we had the pill boxes and we just we took care of that. We counted everything out. We made sure she knew what she needed to take every day. But what you're talking about in part is and, and I'm, I'm totally understanding it, why you would have this binder, because you're not in the same place as your parents. And so mm-hmm. all important information for you to keep track of so you can kind of, you know, understand what's going on with them. And it seems like, I mean, right. uh, you know, what we, again, we don't know about this stuff is, is to be a long distance caregiver. You have to be even more organized. You need that binder. I mean, I don't know how you do it without it, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, interestingly, this, this just came up. So my best friend um, has a disabled brother and she and her parents, and but he lives independently in a different state. She and her parents just went to visit him. And actually, she was telling me about the visit. And one of the things she did was while she was there, she took pictures on her phone of certain documents, even though he had them yep. all there in his apartment and in a binder. She had enough forethought to think, well, what if he moves it 
And by the time somebody comes in, if there's an emergency and they can't find it, at least I have a picture of this stuff on my phone. I thought that was really smart, too. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're visiting, um, you can scan a lot of those materials Mm -hmm. and create an electronic notebook. Um, You can basically keep an electric electronic binder that's organized by legal documents in one folder because you may need to scan and upload them to the bank like I'm having to do for my mother. Right. Um, We're having to set up passwords galore because that wasn't that information wasn't conveyed to my mother. We're having to set up all new usernames and passwords and access her own financial accounts. And that means you have to upload that information to banks or have it available to yourself so that you can fax it to people uh, at a moment's notice. And then, you know, as, as you need to, you may need to have access to your parents' chart. I would encourage as a long-distance caregiver Figure out how you can communicate with their primary care doctor through a portal. You know, a MyChart or electronic health record is another word for it. And you can see their labs, you can see their x-rays, and you can send a question on to the doctor through the portal. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea and a, and a great point. And again, just so many different things you have to think about when you're not in the same location with, with your parent or Correct. aunt or uncle or whoever it might be. So, right, right. So speaking of not being in the same location in, in Ian's email, you know, he told us that his, his father's on the West coast and Ian's on the East coast. So then in a, in a follow-up email, he said that as soon as his father's able to move, he might try to bring him to a facility back East. So it seems like right. the logistics of that kind of move would be an absolute nightmare. Shoot. I, I mean, I can't even, even imagine. Even just thinking about a move, period, but trying to, to manage a move like that we, we for somewhere. We have a two-part episode about moving my mother right. into assisted living, and she only lived about 20 minutes away. Right. I can't even imagine. Right. It just seems overwhelming. Yeah. So, Robin, where would you where would you recommend starting with something like that? Right. Well, I've worked with a number of, actually worked with that basically discharging people who ended up in my hospital in Georgia who lived in different states altogether. I've had the experience many times of working with long-distance caregivers and their parents live in my home state and trying to navigate those things. It really comes down to knowing what your parent needs at that moment Mm -hmm. and having a plan A and a plan B. Okay, Mm -hmm. and I would, because Ian is on one coast and his parents are on the other, I, you know, I have a few missing puzzle pieces being what is mom, what are mom's strengths and how organized is mom? Well, what he said was Um, actually his mother is on the East Coast. Um, His father is on the West Coast. They're not together. Oh, wow. They're not together. Okay. So, yes, I am seeing even more. (laughs) Divorced couples where the uh, former spouse is a caregiver. Mm. Mm. So I'm seeing that a good bit. So I would suggest that Ian definitely look in, have a conversation with his father. If dad is clear-headed, lucid, then um, talk with him about what dad's wishes are and um, basically engage a geriatric care manager. Hmm. And not many people know about this resource. Um, it is a really good one. It's Association for Care Managers 
And um, what they do is you will find a nurse or a social worker who are in a private practice. And they're not working for Ian. They're working for his dad. Hmm. And the focus is a patient-centered plan. Um, what they do, actually, the entire webpage is called Aging Life Care Association. And we'll, we'll put that in the, uh, the show notes so nobody has to write it down right now. Yeah. And it's another zip code program. You know, you go in, you type in a zip code. So what this person can do, um, they do a needs assessment with Ian's dad. They figure out what he needs in that moment um, based on his medical discharge from the hospital. And if the plan is to move back closer to Ian, then they will um, provide suggestions and some guidance. And um, there could be some things that Ian needs to do on his side, such as setting up a primary care practice uh, doctor, getting medical charts transferred. And if it's looking at an assisted living, the assisted living staff will definitely help out with the paperwork that's needed. So, um, you know, they're used to this as well. Remember, you know, any of the assisted livings are familiar with many, many times people are moving to get closer to family. So I would start with a geriatric care manager. They tend to run about $150 an hour. And, um, you know, upfront might be the highest bulk of the cost, but then they're definitely going to help him navigate decisions to be made. But I'm just curious, I mean, logistically, someone who is not in the greatest health, I mean, obviously they may be in a wheelchair, they may not be in a wheelchair, they may be walking, they may mm-hmm. not be walking. How do you move them across country? Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I would have to have kind of a snapshot right. of well, what yeah, his you, abilities yeah, unless are. Unless you know the exact right. specific thing, right? I, I totally get that. Right. I mean, can he be in an airplane? Can he, was, has he had surgery and would the surgeon write off on his ability to get into an airplane with air pressure? Can he tolerate sitting for long periods of time or is he at risk for a blood clot? So there's a couple of variables that I'm mm-hmm. thinking about. But if dad is really, you know, able to return home, then Ian could come out and escort him back via plane. Right, right. Well, interesting. And the geriatric care manager, thank, thanks for sharing that with anyone who's listening, because I have never heard of that before. I wouldn't have even known to look for something like that. So sounds like that could be um, incredibly helpful. What if you're dealing with a parent? All right, so let's think about the opposite here. And, and I think I kind of got the sense, I, I like I said, I, I emailed back and forth with, with Ian. Uh, that's obvious we've mentioned in follow-up emails. But he's not 100% sure his dad will come back east. So you're dealing with a parent who insists they want to stay on the other side of the country without you. And Ian mentioned there's no family out there, only a few friends. That brings up a whole different set of difficulties, right? Mm-hmm. First off, you know, if, if Ian's father is a, in my definition, a competent individual that he's not experiencing, um, short-term memory issues, and he, you know, he is able to make his own decisions, then it is a conversation with dad about, here we are in this picture, what do we do as you age, dad? What, what would be some things that, um, if you, if I need to pull the lever because you're, you're sick for a week, what would you suggest I do? Um, so just try and have that conversation with someone. I, I try and give very concrete examples. 
Um, you know, I have a number of folks who live in very rural communities, mm-hmm. and there's not much around them. Mm-hmm. And their family members maybe live four hours away in northern, you know, in the north part of the state. So the issue is there's still nobody around you. They, your family members still could be hours away. So I'll talk with people about and give them very concrete examples. You're down and out sick for the week with the flu. What would you do? What could we come up with solutions? And once they start to think about a a short-term emergency, they could be more willing to talk about long-term planning, okay? And long-term planning, um, you will run up against some older adults who just, because of cultural or life experiencing or what they saw their parents go through, will not discuss long-term planning. Mm -hmm. They'll just say... and that's another thing social workers do. We really appreciate or recognize people's cultural beliefs, religious beliefs, um, their lifestyles, and and how they were raised. And you're taking all of that into your conversation. It's basically um, the rule of thumb I try and encourage people is 70-40. When you're around 40 years of age, start talking to your parents mm-hmm. uh, about their wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I like what you said, too, about... Um you know, maybe start with a with an easier question of what do you do if you're, you know, under under the weather for a week? It's just it sounds like baby steps to work your way. It's just a baby step. Yeah. Yep. Work your way into that more sort of serious conversation. So I definitely right. um, I like that. More neutral. Yeah. The car goes down for, you know, you have a car accident. What would uh, you know, what what services do we have that we could bring in? Dad, Mm -hmm. let me think about that, you know, and just something as simple, like something well out of their control that could happen to anybody. You know, you could mention, oh, I heard your, your friend down the street had a car accident and the car's um, totaled. What, what's he doing to get around or to his doctor's appointments? Mm-hmm. Um, that actually happened to one of my patients who has no family and lives alone. Mm. So, you know, we talk about options all the time. And I really try and even in the hospital, I talked with people about plan A, plan B. And it could be as simple as, all right, Dad, how will you get your groceries if you're not feeling well? I can order them for you through Instacart. We'll load your credit card. We could set up Meals on Wheels and have Meals on Wheels, which is a community-based service, deliver those to you. I would also recommend um, folks find out um, more about the county he lives in. There, and just know what resources are there. I was so I was just going to ask that, Robin. Like, yeah. is there almost a um, almost like a one stop shopping? I know it's not that simple, but if you just literally don't know what services are offered about meal delivery or, or you know anything like that, yeah. so it sounds like you're saying maybe yeah. start with the county, for, like county or locality first. Definitely, definitely. So I've lived in six different states, and I've done social work in many, in almost every one of them. And I can tell you that the federal government requires every state to have an area agency on aging. Every county has an office on aging and disability. And you can Google your county senior resource guide and pull up something that will provide to you. It might be a PDF, like Montgomery County of Maryland's is close to 200 pages long. And a a really small county may have nothing published, but it's there electronically. Right. 
So you can go to, you know, and another place is the elder care locator, elder care locator. You punch in the zip code and you will find all kinds of information there. And it'll pull up those main numbers that are important, like legal aid, senior health insurance program, which basically just provides education about Medicare Mm -hmm. to individuals. Which is important. um, Oh, my gosh. So, yes. That is one great way to really grab on to community resources. Okay, that's 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 really good advice. You know, again, going back to the whole, it's overwhelming when you're in the middle of a situation like this. And so knowing that there are some resources out there and, you know, even if you start in one place, it's not exactly where you need to be to provide you, you know, what you need. But, you know, hopefully they could, they could point you in the right direction at least. And they, Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking too, you know, we're talking about, long distance but you know so let's talk about someone has stayed or just they are where they are but they you know they're alone let's talk a little bit about like nursing companion or or companionship like those types of services for for in-home I I would assume that there are places out there to to find these resources as well and if you can yeah. also talk a little bit about, obviously, if if finances aren't a concern, you have sort of one set of resources probably available to you. But if finances are a concern, you, you've, you've got to go down a different path. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So I, I tend to work with a much more lower income population. Um, so I am constantly dealing with either folks who are um, eligible for social services programs or they are above those income guidelines. And so I have to kind of come up with other ideas um, or resources. So let's talk about help in the home. That is one of the reasons why I get referrals. A lot of times I have caregivers who are just like, what kind of help can I get for me? First off, you got the office um, on aging. You can call and talk with them and find out about um, any programs like transportation. There might be paratransit, which can come out to the curb and maybe needs a doctor to complete the paperwork. And so you have a way to get your loved one to medical appointments. Um, Help in the home, like I said, I get a lot of referrals for that. Let me give you a quick overview. Medicare does not really address caregiving needs. So when you look at Medicare as insurance and you see the word aid, it is only attached to the time period when you have home health. Let me rephrase that. When a doctor writes an order for home health, they are going to send out a nurse or a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a medical social worker, aha, more help, and an aid. And that aid is only going to come out to the home probably one time a week to help mm-hmm. with bathing and dressing. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you could have six hours in your week taken up by all those other services coming out and visiting. But their uh, physical therapy, for example, is twice a week for about an hour, a nurse once a week. So you'll have some help in the home through home health, but it's like a revolving door. There's a lot going on at that time all based on the medical needs of that patient. So it's going to be, they're going to be there for the, for a short time period, anywhere from a few weeks to a few months, depends on the patient's needs. The next, the next type of services I usually talk with folks about are, um, and it depends on the state, 
Medicaid waiver programs. Um, you can go through the Office on Aging or the Department of Health. Many times these are income-based. You, you may already have a parent who is on Medicaid. You will have to apply separately for these community-based waiver programs to get help in the home. And because um, demand is outstripping supply, there are waiting lists. Mm, the course. type of help in the home, yeah, the type of help in the home could be anywhere from a life alert button to an aide who comes out to help with bathing and dressing. Department of Social Services also have a program, but they tend to bring it in for my most vulnerable adults who have perhaps Adult Protective Services have been called in. So sometimes people will have that resource coming out, an aide twice a week. So um, a next level of care, if you are not qualified for the Medicaid programs, would be private pay. You know, I've kind of, uh, I've heard some stories from people who have gone the private route, and that's even beyond just not a service. They're they're actually hiring the nurses, and the, yes. the cost per month is astronomical. Yeah, it doesn't yes. seem like it's a very long-term sustainable option, you know, to, to do it not. that way. Yeah, yeah. It's not. So I get a number of people who call me. Another referral I get is for caregivers who are interested in a patient moving from home, their loved one from home into a nursing home for long-term care. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult to do that these days. Uh, and typically you would need to reach out to the nursing home and in your community, talk to the admissions coordinator, and um, they'll provide you the paperwork and, you know, you may be placed on a, an awaiting list. Um, long-term care Insurance, I do not find too many people who have that, mm -hmm. but it is a resource. It pays for not only assisted livings, but also help in the home. Yeah, that is one of those things that you start to hear about, you know, especially, especially in your career, if, you, if you've got, you know, good benefits and, and then you start hearing the option about long-term health care, health insurance, and more money coming out of your paycheck. And I, I know it's hard to think about doing that, but um, certainly something everyone probably should consider so that when they get to that stage in their life, they've, they've got that added resource. Right. Yeah. Now, there's two other things that could be helpful for caregiving. Um, adult day programs. Mm. Those are in the community. They're really nice. Um Typically, uh, you know, you can set up how many days a week you want. Um, they can run from 80 to $100 a day, and they have an LPN, LPN on site. They'll provide medications to your loved one. They'll provide meals and snacks and activities and supervision and help with transfers. You know, if somebody needs help into the bathroom and out, they'll help with all those things. Yeah, interestingly. So adult day programs are great. Interestingly, yeah. our daughter, who is a uh, nursing student, she's a junior in nursing school, uh, at her clinicals, one of her clinicals that she just finished up was at a, what sounds like a similar program. It was a psychiatric like program. Yeah, but, yeah, but it was a day. Similar, yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, that's definitely yep. interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so you said there were two. What's the other one, Robin? So you have, you know, adult medical day programs. And then through your county, you also can look to see if there is um, a respite grant. And respite is a word that me for caregivers means a break, um, you know, giving you a reprieve. So 
there's a national organization, the National Family Caregivers Association, which also November is um, their month of recognition for caregivers. But in each county, they distribute monies. And um, I can find a grant application and have the family completed. And sometimes um, with the monies anywhere, you know, for the people I work with, it's a couple hundred dollars. But it's a reimbursement program, maybe towards the hired help or for incontinence supplies, medication co-pays, things like that. And it helps reimburse the caregiver for some monies. Um, so that's another thing to check out is and the National Family Caregiver Fund. up so quickly. It's amazing really how really quickly fast. it adds up. Mm-hmm. So uh, right. moving on to our last question, Ian did mention to me sure. in a follow-up email, his father is a veteran. What kind mm-hmm. of assistance is out there for the people who have served in the military? How do you access it? So my own grandmother, um, my grandfather was a veteran, and my grandmother, um, she was able to access my grandfather's veterans' benefits. There is a program called Aid and Attendance. It is nationwide. And it's basically a monthly pension that helps pay for care. And to determine eligibility, I always say that veteran must have served active duty one day during wartime. And it had to be an honorable discharge. Okay. Okay. And um, they do have, you know, they... They're looking at World War II, uh, Korean War, Vietnam War, and and they're look and what they do is um, they add on money that you into your pension that you then use to help pay for help in the home. I've had a few patients; um, they maybe are getting 15 hours a week of an aid in the home, um, and you know, $300, $500 added. That's fantastic but they are getting some assistance in the home. Not many people know about the aid and attendance program. Not many people know um, that you can get uh, equipment through the VA and some of their medications or even all of them may be paid for by the VA. So, you know, I have folks who do utilize the VA and then they also use their community doctors. Problem is, is linking those up is a challenge. but, you know, there, there are resources to, ch- to check into. All of that is available online. Um, you can go to an elder care lawyer. I don't know if I spoke about them, but, boy, elder care lawyers are terrific at setting up legal documents and helping people plan um, for long-range needs. And a number of them do know about this aid and attendance program. Okay. Yeah. You've had so many good suggestions and, and resources and websites. And I, again, I know Steve said he's going to be putting these things in the show notes so that folks can have access to them. So we definitely appreciate um, all of these awesome suggestions. Just one quick question. So you're, as we said, a medical social worker. Is there a way to, like, because you have all of this information, and mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming all medical social workers like sort of have this whole entire knowledge base. How mm-hmm. could someone access a medical social worker? Is that only like if you're in the hospital, having a hospital stay where you would come across someone like you who, who does what you do? So 
Yes. In the hospital, there are social workers. There's, um, that department that helps people plan for discharges is called care coordination. In the community, um, you will find social workers and helpers, um, if you will. Um, you can contact the Office on Aging to start. Um, for free services, they many times will have you know, resources right there that you can t- maybe engage or talk with someone. Um, if your parent has home health coming out to the home, ask for a medical social worker order, and they'll come out and talk with you. Um, now, Medicare will only pay for a few visits, and it depends on the agency. Sometimes um, that medical social worker can make two visits. Sometimes they can make three. Uh, you know, you can really gather up your information at that time. And I really would encourage um, talking as much as possible if there is a family member in the home health, I mean, in at home when home health is coming out, because there's so many skills that can that, that caregiver can learn from the home health staff, uh, that's um, a good how point. to transfer, what equipment is needed, how to protect your own back from you know, moving someone around in bed. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to train you safe, you know, all those safe ways and tips. So if your parent doesn't understand their medications or is newly diagnosed with something um, and they're homebound for a while, encourage home health. But I have to tell you that right now the medical field is really stretched thin. So some areas, um, there's not enough nurses or aides. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I'm like, have a plan A and a plan B. And um, there's a a real high need for follow-up. And that's probably the hardest thing for my caregivers right now is that follow-up because things are getting missed. You know, it's, it's a sad it's a very, it's a struggling time for everyone. Yeah, it, de- it definitely is. So that's why we are so thankful, again, for people like you who are doing what you're doing. And, and clearly, you know, you have to have a, I think you have to have a passion for it to, to continue and to devote your entire career to it. So thank you for what you're doing. You know, we feel this way about our daughter. We're so proud of her for going through nursing school and um, being able to to go into a profession like that, where she's going to be able to, to hopefully help a, a whole lot of people at, at a time when it is really, really needed. So... Oh, you asked a quick question about what to do about folks who don't want to follow up on paperwork or um, the legal things. Right. I just encourage the family meeting. Um, and, you know, it, it could mean um, just gentle conversations slowly over time. And if nothing else, trying to get um, an ev- a healthcare power of attorney designated, um, meaning that surrogate decision maker. If, if your older adult says, yes, I want my son to make decisions and the doctor gets it down on record, that's enough. It's helpful. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely good advice. And I I mean, I will say I, you know, I can speak for Steve and I going through what we've been going through for the last year plus, and in some ways, some pieces of it, less serious pieces of it for a long, longer period of time. We have no problem at this point, talking about these things, thinking about these things. 
I think we're going to have no problem talking with our kids about it. We're probably going to want to talk about it more than they're going to want to talk about it. I get it. Kids don't want to, I can remember, you know, years ago when my mom would, would start talking about, you know, well, one day, and I know my brother and I would be like, we just don't want to talk about this right now. Now Mm -hmm. I'll talk about it all day long because we, we want to get everything in order so that we're not scrambling around at the last minute or, or worse, we're not fulfilling someone's wishes of how they want something to be handled when they get to this point in their life. So important stuff. Right. It's true. It is. So Robin, thank you so much for being on our show and thank you for all of the information. And I I think there's every chance in the world we're going to ask you to come back for some other reason. Uh, But once again, thank you. Well, anytime. And uh, certainly I thank you for the privilege to share this information because um, I, I talk with people all day long and folks really don't know where to turn. Um, so I'm happy to help out. It's, it's really so hard, but, uh, thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. Thanks to Ian for emailing us, uh, and, and making this episode basically happen. If you'd like to get in touch with us with a question, a comment, an inquiry about a sponsorship, give us money. We have a few (laughs) options. I say that every episode. Please give us money. First, you can email us at caregivinggenxstyle at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 804-723-1221. Know that if you do contact us, your comments may be used in a future episode or your comments may turn into a future episode like this one did. You can also find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Gen X Caregiving. We're also on Facebook. You can just go ahead and search the the title of the show. You'll find us there. And again, all of these uh, numbers and addresses and stuff will be found in the show notes. You don't have to write them down. We hope to hear from you soon, and we'll be back with a new episode soon. Thanks for listening. Good night, everyone. 